Hey guys, welcome to episode two of the Stock Talk podcast. This week we will be looking, as always, at the answers I posted on Seeking Alpha, or the questions I posted on Seeking Alpha, rather, and the answers that you guys gave to those questions. But as requested, I'm going to be doing a more in-depth, less broad podcast. We're going to try to shorten this down and focus on one or two key main topics. Okay, now the first thing I want to say is that the reaction to my questions was not nearly as good as the first time. I'm trying to give you guys incentive to answer those questions. All you have to do is search for me on Seeking Alpha and go to my blog. So in Seeking Alpha there are articles and blogs. I need you to go to my blog when that blog is updated with stock talk questions, it means you can answer them and win something. That's the incentive. Now this time, I am giving you guys a course. Um, retail value is ninety dollars. So, um, you know, there's money involved here. Technically, if you want to treat it like that, there's really no reason not to answer these questions. I want to know the people following me. What kind of questions do they have? How can I help them? Um, because this podcast is more of a defined, specific uh, course. So it's interactive. It's responsive. Most of my Seeking Alpha articles are for a general audience. I want the podcast to be for a very specific set of traders who are using my strategies and they want to maybe optimize or maybe they're not so familiar with the strategies I offer and they want more clarification. So that's what this podcast is for. It's completely free. In fact, I'm paying for it because I'm offering stuff to you guys to answer the questions and to participate. So please do so. Because the response to week two was not as good as week one, I'm going to change back to the original incentive, which was two weeks of Seeking Alpha Pro. So in Seeking Alpha, on, on the Seeking Alpha website, there are many pages that you cannot get to unless you have a pro membership. I'm going to give you that pro membership two weeks for free um, as the reward for the next week's contest. And I'm going to put that up. It should be up by the time you're listening to this. So just go to my Seeking Alpha blog and you will see the newest contest. All you have to do is answer those three quick questions I put. All right. So this week, the questions were related to um, the differences between swing trading, day trading, position trading, and investing. Now the questions follow. What do you think is the main difference between day trading, swing trading, and investing? Um, why don't more people use options instead of stock to make short-term trades, long-term trades? Two different questions there. And then third, how do you theta hedge your long options position? Now if you don't know what theta hedge is, I'm going to tell you in a second and we'll get to that when we get to question three. So as I said, these podcasts are going to be more in depth. If none of those topics interest you, this podcast is probably not for you, but we are going to be talking briefly about the general theory of time in the stock market. So let's scroll down to the answers to the questions. Now the first guy, uh, based on length, he would have won this contest because he put a really, really long answer to these questions. But after reading the questions, I think the winner is going to be pets0012. So pets, please give me an email and I will give you access to 
um, one of my courses for free, whichever one you choose. So let me know and I'll get that to you. Now, the reason I like Pets' answers, well, I'm going to explain them right now. So let's start with question number one. Question number one, what, again, was what do you think is the main difference between day trading, swing trading, and investing? Now, he says timing is the main difference. To a lesser degree, the use of certain strategies. Shorting is left less often found in a strict investing playbook. I like his answers. They're short but sweet. Let's go through them. So he says timing is the main difference. Now, that is, that's arguable because I'm not really sure what he means by timing. Um, I'm assuming he means position timing, when you place the entry order, when you place the close order, and that really depends on the type of trade. What I'm trying to get at overall by asking this question, what's the difference between day trading, swing trading, and investing, is the answer is really nothing. The answer is simply time. The answer is simply the labels you put on the charts. So here's what I'm trying to get at. If you look at a chart, a stock chart, and let's say I give you a stock chart and there are no labels on the axes. So you see, you know, uh, what, what you typically see is like a line chart. It's going up and down and up and down. And I'm asking you, is this a chart of a stock's movement in a day, in a month, or in a year? You won't be able to accurately answer this question. And it's not because you're not good. It's because nobody can, not even experts can. And the reason for that is that the stock market is a fractal. It looks the same whether you zoom in or zoom out. It's always going to look the same. So all of these people who claim that investing is safer is, well, their argument is, is really just common sense. Their argument is it feels safer to have a long-term investing horizon because if the stock drops, it can come back in the future. It's just common sense. And as you probably know, if you've been following me for a while, common sense simply doesn't work for trading. Common sense is going to kill you. It's going to kill your account. You don't want to go by so-called common sense when you trade. So these people who say, hey, you traders, you're way too high risk. I play the safe game, I buy and hold, I'm an investor. There really is no difference between us. The only difference is the label on the axes. Now that label, of course, on the y-axis is gonna be magnitude of, of money, right? So within a day, a stock might fluctuate between $2 and $3, but uh, within a year, it might double or triple that. So that's the issue. Um, when we talked about magnitude, but it's really not an issue because we're talking about time. Um, the meaning here is that, of course, you're gonna make more money in the long term if you hold on to a bullish stock for a long time. But that doesn't mean that day trading is a worse option. It just means that you've redefined your time horizon. So it doesn't matter if you're investing or you're trading, if you understand or if you have data that shows statistically significant patterns on the stock market, you can apply them no matter your no matter what your style is. So is there a difference between trading and investing? Well, not really. It's just we're using different tools. So you might be using a buy and hold tool because you plan on holding a stock for five years. Now, why would you do that when you can day trade the stock and make probably you'd probably make 
whatever you make investing a lot more quickly through day trading. It's just that you're going to spend a lot more effort and you're going to have um, a different tax requirement. Because as you probably know, if you don't hold a stock long enough, it will, your, your, your payoff, your capital gains will not be taxed as capital gains. They'll be taxed as income tax. So if you hold less for less than a year, you'll be paying, you know, whatever your, your standard income tax is, as opposed to the lower, for most people, capital gains tax. So that is an issue for some people, but depending on the strategy, sometimes it's worth switching from the capital gains to the income tax if you have a strategy that tells you, you you shouldn't be holding on for the entire year. In many of my articles in Seeking Alpha, I find strategies that show if you just avoid maybe one month of a certain stock, um, off the top of my head, I think I, I'm thinking of uh, Microsoft. So for example, if Microsoft is one of your long-term holdings and you don't want to trade Microsoft because of tax issues, you're afraid that if you sell Microsoft after or before a year, you're gonna have to pay income tax on it. Well, if you do the calculations, it might still make sense because there's a trading strategy, a very simple one, where you don't hold Microsoft in February and that will probably beat um, buy and hold. I didn't run the back test for this, but I'm pretty sure this is how it works out. Microsoft almost always has an awful February. And the sharp ratio for Microsoft in February is negative, meaning that the risk reward profile for Microsoft in February is awful. It's against your best interest to have Microsoft in your portfolio in February. Now, if you believe this and if you, you trust me on this, but you still have to buy and hold Microsoft, if you're insistent on holding Microsoft instead of trading Microsoft, you might think, well, okay, Microsoft is going to fall in February, most Februarys, but I don't want to sell it because that's going to give me tax problems. And of course, Microsoft is going to bounce back. Well, that's true. It will bounce back and it will give you tax problems. But think of it this way. If you run the back test and you find that you're making, let's say 10% more per year, dependent on how much money you're putting into that stock and dependent on, on your, your taxes, it might work out. It usually probably will work out to you making more money by selling before February and then buying back at the end of February after Microsoft has taken a considerable dip and you can buy the same amount of stock that you had before back at a lower price or even more shares at the same price. Now, you'll be hit in taxes for doing so, but in the long run, this will pay off. If you do this year after year, you'll end up owning way more shares of Microsoft than you originally had planned for the same price and you'll get the dividends and you'll get the extra income when you sell it off. So it just makes more sense to not care so much about the tax issue um, when you have a winning trading strategy. Now that's talking about the investing side of things. What about the day trading side of things? Well, I don't typically day trade because it's too time consuming for me. I don't like to have to sit in front of a computer all day long. Um, for me, it's all night long because I live in Asia. So what I do is I do swing trading, which is a balance between the investing and the day trading um, types of strategies. And the main advantage of swing trading is that you get these, you, you, you can rely on the volatility um, between days. So what I mean by this is, let's say you buy a stock 
at the end of the day, right before the market closes, and then you sell it the next day when the market opens. You've technically only held on to the stock for maybe a matter of minutes, but the stock usually moves a considerable amount overnight. So even though the time you've spent holding on to that stock is pretty much nothing, your gains will look like um, a day trader's gains. Because overnight, a stock can move, a stock typically moves as much as it does during the day, which is very useful for people like us who don't want to sit in front of the computer all day long. So that has been my main type of quote-unquote day trading. When I was day trading the Nugget, um, which is a three times leverage ETF on gold miners, that's exclusively what I did. I bought at the end of the market, um, either a call or a put option, and then the next day I would sell it off. And I remember, this is one of my, my uh, crowning achievements in trading, and I have a video up showing um, evidence of it, but I remember like in one week, I brought a $3,000 portfolio to 10K um, just doing this, just buying at the end of the market, selling the next day at, when it opened, and then going about my day, going about my business. So that's, um, I think that clears up, it should clear up question one. The stock market is a fractal. Time is not important. Um, investing, day trading, swing trading, they're all the same thing. It's just that you're changing the axes on the charts that you're looking at. That's all. All right, so we're gonna move on to question number two. Question number two, let me read it off here. Um, why don't more people use options instead of stock to make short-term trades and to make long-term trades? Now again, um, Pets0012, the user on Seeking Alpha, the winner of the contest, gives an answer. It's pretty good. Um, so based on his experience, he says, the people he has met who have avoided options cite math, expiration, and leverage as reasons. The Greeks can also be confusing to beginners. The idea of losing an entire value of an option at expiration, and then finally many people confusingly think they lose a ton of money with options. Let's go through these one by one, starting with the first one, which is math. Um, it's undeniable that trading options requires a little bit more mathematical or numerical understanding than trading stock. Trading stock is intuitively easy. You're buying a portion of the company, and if the company does well, then your stock does well as well. Options can be confusing, especially at the beginning when you don't see them act the same way a stock acts. An example of this would be buying a call option right before an earnings report and after the earnings report the stock goes up so you would think therefore the call option must also go up but sometimes it doesn't go up and the reason for this is volatility is part of the calculation of the price of an option and because volatility goes down after earnings even if the stock goes up the price of the option itself can still be crushed from that drop in volatility and that might even out with the gain in the stock, giving you pretty much no gain in the option. This can be a lot of um, frustration for new time options traders, and it does point to needing a bit more knowledge before you enter in a pre-earnings trade with options. So that is certainly an issue, but 
I don't think learning the option strategies themselves require that much mathematics. The math involved is not even algebra, it's just arithmetic. Essentially, you can use addition and subtraction alone to calculate the most important factors of an options trade. So, yes, people cite that as difficult, but that's just a perception, it's not the reality. Now, the second issue people cite is expiration. This is certainly a very important thing to notice when you're opening an options trade, and it's an extra decision that must be made. When you're playing stock, you only have to make one decision, buy or you know don't buy or short. Um, but when you play options, let's say you buy a call option. Now, a call option is essentially being bullish on the stock. You're hoping the stock goes up, and the stock will make the call option move upward as well. But you also have to choose the expiration date, and you also have to choose the strike price of the option. So instead of one choice, buy or sell, now you're making three choices, buy or sell, plus what expiration date will the option be for, plus what's the strike price on that option. The strike price doesn't matter so much, um, because if your direction's right, every option will move up in value. Now, what does matter is the expiration date, because if you buy an option too early, with an expiration date too early, it might, you might be right, theoretically, on which way the stock is going to move, but because the expiration date is too close, nobody cares about that option anymore. For example, you buy an out-of-the-money option, and Microsoft is moving up, but if it doesn't move up fast enough to make the option become an in-the-money option, your out-of-the-money option will expire, and you would have lost all of what you spent on that option contract. So this certainly is an issue. The, there is an easy solution as well, and that easy solution is simply buy expiration dates that are you know, two or three months out. Just be safe, be conservative about it. Make sure that the options you buy have expiration dates from very, very far away from the current date, and you should be good. You shouldn't have to worry about expiration. The only reason not to do that is that it's going to be more expensive. Now, is it going to be more expensive than buying stock? No. Um, options are always going to be cheaper than stock because you're not actually buying 100 shares of a stock. Instead, you're buying the right to 100 shares of the stock, and that alone is going to be cheaper because you haven't paid money for the stock yet. So you're going to be putting in you know, $300, um, whereas and seeing the same gains that someone who has a hundred shares of the stock is going to see, but that person paid, you know, something like a hundred, a hundred K and you only spent $300. So even if you move that expiration date out a couple more months to be completely safe, you're stay, still paying way less than stock players are. So I don't think that's an issue either. If you feel not comfortable yet with choosing the expiration dates of options, the solution is just buy a long-term expiration date and don't worry so much. Study in the meantime and as you become more familiar with what expiration dates typically work, then you'll know how to make your strategies cost you less capital by buying the uh, closer expiration dates. But until then, just buy the long-term ones. Don't worry about it. You're not going to lose money this way. It's just, 
you're gonna put extra money capital inside, but there's no extra risk. It's just there. It's think of it as like an insurance policy against choosing the wrong expiration date. So if you don't know what you're doing with the expiration dates yet, just buy them three or four months out and you should be okay. If you wanna be really safe, buy them one year out or buy what's called LEAPS, L-E-A-P-S. LEAPS are the um, options for you know one or two years out there. So you couldn't possibly worry about the expiration date being reached in the short term. You just watch the stock. So that deals with the expiration dates. And still, as I said, you're paying way less money than the stock traders are. So again, options look to be superior here. Now, the third question, the third issue he mentioned was leverage. When traders or investors particularly hear of leverage, they think what's happening is a Forex or futures type of trade, which is highly risky. And most people, the majority of people playing futures or um, Forex, the majority of these retail traders lose money. So it sounds bad. There's a stigma there. But for options, your leverage isn't pure leverage. It's a type of leverage that's non-linear. The leverage you get with Forex and with futures is linear leverage. If you put a dollar down, that dollar represents $100. So if you gain a dollar, you gain $100. However, if you lose a dollar, you lost $100. If you lose $2, you lost $200, but you didn't put $200 down. You only put $100 down, right? You only put $1 down representing your, your um, motive to put down $100. However, if the stock drops by two, now you owe $200. That's the danger of Forex and futures leverage. But you don't get that with options. If you buy an option, you cannot possibly have to owe any more than what you paid for that option. If you buy a $300 option, the maximum amount of money you can lose on that trade is $300. So the leverage there is only on the upside. If the stock moves up $10, you can gain $10,000. Uh, sorry, $1,000. You can gain $1,000. But if the stock moves down $10, the most you can lose is $300. So think about that. Think about the upside versus the downside. It moves $10 upward. Your investment was $300. Your payoff is $1,000. Now think of the other way. The stock moves down $10. What's your max drawdown? What's your max loss? Only $300. Doesn't that sound like a pretty unfair, um, unfair to whoever's not playing, you know, on the other side and way unfair, way overpowered for you in a sense, because you're paying $300, but your max gain is unlimited and your max loss is limited. When we talk about futures or Forex, it's the opposite. It's, well, it's not the opposite, it's, it's linear. Your max gain is unlimited, but your max loss is also unlimited. You risk bankruptcy if you play Forex or futures the wrong way. You never risk bankruptcy with options if you're buying the options. So there we go with the leverage, and I believe that is all those three reasons. But he also mentions, um, Greeks. So the Greeks aren't actually necessary to understanding options. One of my good friends, Todd Bubba Horowitz, hates the Greeks. He never talks about them. He's been trading options since the the option was created in the U.S. He was trading on the Chicago 
uh, options exchange back in, you know, the, the whenever it was opened, 60s, 80s, I don't know. But he still never uses any of the Greeks. He doesn't like talking about the Greeks. I'm not even sure if he understands the Greeks. It doesn't matter. He's a good options trader. What When we talk about options, I will talk about the Greeks, and he'll be like, I, I don't like the Greeks. So I'll switch over and say, okay, look, if this option goes up, or if the stock goes up a dollar, this option goes up $50. He understands that. You can understand that. You don't need to know the Greeks. The Greeks are simply a easy way to say what I just said. Instead of having to explain how the option is going to move when something else happens, we just name the Greeks. So this option has a delta of 50, a theta of 20, a vega of 20, and a, a gamma of 50. All those those Greeks put together right there just told me like four paragraphs of information. So it's just a shorthand way of explaining specific details about that particular option. That's all. If you don't want to use the Greeks, if you don't, if you feel they're confusing because they're used in mathematical uh, sciences, don't be. They're not that mathematically intensive. It's just a way of explaining certain characteristics of the options that you can explain otherwise, that you can explain without the Greeks. So it's also not an issue. Overall, every complaint I've heard about trading options can be dismissed easily, except for maybe one, and that is options don't give you access to dividends. That's really the only reason I've ever considered options to be inferior to stock on every other aspect, they're superior in every possible way. The reason they're just not popular is people don't want to think too hard. They they worry. There's a stigma on the idea of leverage. There's a worry about the options expiring before the, the stock hits whatever they want it to hit. And there's just worry about the complexity of options in general. And what I'm trying to do, part of my whole career here, is trying to help the average person or average traders or investors, stock traders, to realize that options are the superior choice in almost every trade and they aren't difficult. They're not as difficult as you think. They're not as risky as you think. In fact, they're safer than stock. That deals with question two. So question three will be the most in-depth question of this podcast, this week's podcast, and it is, how do you theta heads your long option positions? How do you deal with time decay? Um, so I'm going to read this guy's answer again. I haven't read this one yet. He says, I tend to buy longer dated options that experience less time decay. I also trade weekly and shorter monthly options for income. Theta decays quickly to the, to the closer to expiration, so this benefits an option seller. All right, so that's the, the basics of um, options and theta decay. Theta decay refers to the Greek theta. Theta is attached to an option. So when you look at an option, you're going to see all of these details about an option. One of the details is going to be a number called theta. Theta is always going to be a decimal. And what it means is the amount of money that the option is decaying per day. So if you see a option that has a theta of 0.01, what that means is every day the option loses $1 in value. Now, as it gets closer to the expiration, 
theta increases and you're losing more money per day. But let's assume theta is static for the moment. Let's assume that it, it doesn't change for the moment. How would you have to deal with theta? How do you deal with it as an options trader? Now, the person who answered my question, pets uh, one 2 he says he just buys longer dated options, which is what we talked about before. If you buy options with expiration dates far out from today, theta is essentially zero. So you don't need to what I call theta hedge your option. If you want to take a long position on Microsoft and you want to use options, you can buy the Microsoft options for next year and your theta is going to be zero. You don't need to worry about that time decay. But if you buy an option that's going to expire in the next month, your theta might be rather high. It might even be like $5 a day for more expensive stocks. How do you deal with that? What you do is you theta hedge. Now, theta hedge, let's, before we talk about theta hedging, um, I recommend everybody calculate really quickly how much the stock needs to move before theta doesn't matter. Now, the easy way to do this is to look at the delta, which is another Greek of the stock, Look at the delta of the stock. That delta tells you how much the stock increases in value for every $1 upward movement. We're talking about calls here, right? Puts will be the opposite direction. So again, um, delta tells you how much the stock gains for every $1 movement. Sorry, delta tells you how much the option gains for every $1 movement in the stock. And theta tells you how much the option loses every day. So multiply delta by x and set it equal to theta. That algebra, okay, so, so I said we don't really use um, anything beyond arithmetic in options trading, but bear with me here, this is algebra, right? So you're setting up an equation, delta times x equals theta, or if you just wanna know the answer to that, that equation, it's, it's simply x equals theta divided by delta. So you take theta divided by delta, that's gonna tell you how much the stock needs to move per day to where theta doesn't matter. So if you have a price target in mind for a stock, for example, you are looking at Microsoft and Microsoft is at $50 right now and you think it's gonna to move to $55, it's gonna have a $5 increase in other words, and you know the time period that you think it's gonna hit that, that, that uh, price, you don't even have to do the math. All you have to do is think, okay, it's gonna move up by $5 and your option is gonna be worth you know, $500 gain if it's in the money. And then you look at theta. How much are you losing over that time period? If it makes sense to buy the option, then buy the option. So if your option is gonna lose you know, $5 a day and you think that it's gonna take a week before um, your price target's reached, you're gonna lose $25 over the week. So it's going to cost you $25 to hold on to that option. Now, if your gains are going to be more than $25, it makes sense to do it. And if it's not going to be more than $25, you don't buy that option. You buy an option with a longer expiration date or more in the money. There's plenty of different choices for you that don't rely purely on the expiration date. You can switch the strike price. We might talk about this in the next podcast, but today let's focus on the expiration date. By switching the expiration date to a, a longer month, to a more distance month, your theta drops. And if your trade is going to last for five days, for just imagine it's going to be a five-day trade, sometimes you can get theta down to 
insignificant levels to where it's like there is no time decay. And that's exactly what this guy does. He says he buys long-dated options so that he doesn't have to worry about theta. Now, there are other ways you can do that. So this is more advanced stuff, but this is what people want out of the podcast, so let's go on into it. How do you hedge against theta? Now, all you have to do to hedge against theta is... All right, think of it like this. When you buy an option, you get a theta value, and the theta value is negative. Here's where the math comes in. The theta value is negative. How do you make the theta value insignificant? Well, you need to add a theta value that's positive to it until together those two theta values combined equal zero or are positive. If you get into the positive area, what's happening is you're making money every day instead of losing money every day. Now, what you do to do that is you sell options. This is where the risks come in um, if you're selling too many options, if you're selling more options than you're buying. So let's just assume, let's talk about a, a single strategy, okay? Let's talk about what's called a calendar spread. In a calendar spread, what you're doing is you're selling an option. Let's, let's just talk about calls, okay? So call options give you the right to buy stock. You're selling a option with a short expiration date, and then you're buying one with a long expiration date. Now, the short expiration date theta is going to be higher than the long expiration date theta. Because of that, and because you're shorting the option, you're selling the option, the theta is no longer negative. Remember, negative of a negative is positive, right? Because you're doing minus, you're multiplying by negative one, the theta value, which is already negative. So you're getting a positive theta value. And because the shorter uh, term option is going to have a higher theta value, Add that to the longer term option with the lower but negative theta value, and now you have positive theta. So a calendar spread does exactly that. It allows you to minimize theta, or actually go, go neutral on theta by, sorry, not go neutral, but, but make it positive so you're long on theta, you're actually making money every day, by selling two of the same options, just with just buying one option and selling another one with the same expiration date. The only difference is you're selling a closer expiration date option and you're buying a longer one. The problem with this is you can't be directional on this trade because now you're technically, remember when you buy an option, when you buy a call option, you're technically 100 shares long on the stock. And when you sell an option, you're technically 100 shares short on the stock. It's that simple for, for these purposes, for this discussion. So if you're gonna do what I just said, and you've shorted 100 shares, and then you bought 100 shares, you have zero shares. So if the stock moves up and down, it doesn't matter. You, you get nothing. Um, so why would you do this? Well, like I said, you're making money every day if you're long theta. This gives you a long theta strategy, so every day you're making money. Every day you're making money by selling that um, closer time frame option and buying the longer time frame option, just holding on to that strategy, you're making money every day. But most option traders, especially the ones who come to me because of the gap trading strategies that I offer, they're looking for directional plays. So we still have to deal with theta in these directional plays. How can we do what I just said with the calendar spread, but keep a direction? Well, you can't do it, well, you can do it perfectly, but it's gonna be, yeah, let's talk about this. Okay, you can do it perfectly. Here's, here's what you can do. You buy a call option and you sell a put option. If you buy a call option, 
your long 100 shares of stock. If you sell a put option, your long 100 shares of stock. Remember the put is like the opposite of the call. It's shorting. Now if you short a short, it's just like a double negative. All of this stuff that sounds complex or confusing in trading options is simply talking about double negatives or triple negatives. It's just, you know, minus one times minus one enough times you're gonna get back to where you started and it's really not that complex. So what you got is a synthetic long strategy, which is buying one call option and selling one put option. That hedges your theta, your zero, your neutral on theta. There is no time decay on that strategy. But now you're long 200 shares of stock. The problem with this strategy is that it's the same as holding stock. It's no longer nonlinear. Your max risk is no longer limited like it is with buying a call option. The advantage of buying a call option is you have a limited risk. But once you start selling options, you don't have limited risk as long as you're selling the same amount of options as you're buying in many cases, in most cases. So in this case, you're selling a put and you're buying a call. Your risk is not limited, but we can make it limited. And here's how we do it. You buy another put, but this time you make sure the put's strike price is out of the money. So what happens here is, for example, on Microsoft, you buy a $50 call, you sell a $50 put, and you buy a $40 put. In this situation, now you have almost zero theta, so you don't have to worry about time decay no matter what the expiration date is, and you're limited on your risk. Your risk for this strategy in particular is only $1,000, but you're long 200 shares of the stock. So I want you to think about this strategy for a while because this is extremely useful. It's the same as buying stock. It often is free. In other words, it doesn't cost you money to open the strategy. And sometimes you get money for opening the strategy. And then you're protected. Your max risk is $1,000 in this particular strategy. So you get all of those benefits. What's the downside? What possible downside could there be here? There really isn't any, um, except for missing out on dividends. But I mean, if you play this on something like Netflix, there are no dividends, so why wouldn't you play this? Why wouldn't you hold 200 shares for free and know your max risk? Why would you instead just buy all that stock for you know 20K or 200K? Why would you spend all that money? It just doesn't make sense to me. The only reason people do it is because they think options are scary, they think they're risky, and they think they're confusing. And I hope in this podcast, at the very least, I've pushed those ideals out of your mind and if you haven't played with options before I encourage you to experiment try buying a call option or buying a put option on a stock that you would particularly buy outright just try it for once and see how it goes let me know how it goes in uh, the comments section of the next contest so again go to seeking alpha find my blog and look for the most recent contest I'm going to be putting out a free two-week subscription for uh, Seeking Alpha Pro whoever, for whoever gives the best answers to my questions. Again, the winner for this time, and what he has won is a, a course of mine of his choosing. The winner for this time 
is the Seeking Alpha user PETZ0012. So that's it for Stock Talk. Again, your feedback is important to me. Um, this is only the second episode, so I'm, I'm not sure what you guys think so far. I've gotten some feedback. People said they want more in-depth um, stuff instead of broad stuff. I hope that this particular podcast fulfilled that requirement. If it didn't, please let me know. And uh, that's it. Happy trading, guys.